Hello, hello, off-airers. Welcome to another episode of Off-Air. It's your weekly news and pop culture podcast where Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, pull apart the top three stories of the week and give you a look behind the media curtain. Each week, I pick the top three stories. Nick has no idea what they're going to be, and we throw them at him. If you like hanging out with us, jump in the Facebook group because we ask questions and get content ideas all the time. Just search Off Air uh, in Facebook, and we would love to see you jump in there and chat with us about stuff. This week, we're going to be getting into hashtag let us speak, the laws silencing sexual assault victims, um, Australia Post loving some cardio watches, and Nexium, the sex cult that has literally come crashing down today. That's all on the other side of this. Welcome to Off Air. Tim, Nick, yeah. Hey, with Nick and Tim. It's real talk. Hey, it's real walk. This ain't gossip. It's just what we say when we're off air. It's real talk. It's real talk. Just two opinions. We spit what we say. We off air. It's real talk. It's true talk. It's two opinions. We spit what we say when we off air. Nick Stewart all the way in Queensland. We're connected. Hello, mate. How are you? How are you, Tim Rubin, now that you have that sweet, sweet taste of freedom down there in Victoria? I'm good. My life hasn't changed immensely because regional Victoria, I got the same thing from like my grandma and my mum and mm. stuff like, oh, you can go to Kmart. Regional Victoria has had Kmart and bars and restaurants for a couple of weeks now. <laughs> so we're not in full lockdown. I'm so stoked for any of our listeners who are in the middle of Melbourne who finally now, did you see all the, the photos of the people rushing to Kmart at midnight and, oh. and all the bars that opened at 11? 59. It was wild. It was, and I, I 100% would have done the same. I would have gone yeah. to a bar at midnight, and I think it would have been so much fun. That that just that sweet relief, and and that sense of freedom. That it's been a long haul for everyone that's lived in Melbourne, and I understand that feeling of disconnect. A lot. I've seen a lot of people come out from Melbourne and say they felt disconnected and like they were you know, the Tasmania of Australia all of a sudden. And it's nice that they don't have to be that anymore. I mean, think about how my girlfriend Ellie feels who's from Tasmania and her apartment <laughs> is in Melbourne. I'm just it twice. She's just been an outsider. What are you meant to do? <laughs> it's great news. What did you think of the backlash on Dan Andrews for posting a photo of a donut on what they're calling now Donut Day? Man, Victorians, you guys, you love a name for a day, don't you? Was- well, we just had Thank You Day, which was uh, our AFL Grand Final public holiday got renamed to Thank You Day. So I sent some text messages to some people and I said, thank you. And what they said, thanking? thank you back. What is it just, you have to remind, be reminded to be polite now? What are they thanking? No, we were thanking each other for our our team effort in getting through ah. this second wave and this second, it, look, it didn't really take off. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't happen. So yeah, we had donuts. We love a name. And then Dan Andrews, he did the donut. And then of course, I love my favorite question of the week from the media was, uh, Dan, are you going to finally get on the beers? And mm. he said, I'll be going a little further top shelf. And he posted that photo of him with uh, the Starwood whiskey, which yeah. looked very, very nice. Yeah. But then people criticized him. That's that's the bizarre thing. And yeah, but who takes, criticized yeah. him? Like people that hated him, like what they're gonna criticize him whatever he does. Exactly. Well, I don't think there were any I don't think there were any like progressive forward thinking people who 
have been pro his decisions who that was the turning point and they were like no nope. he posted the photo of the donut i'm switching sides voting liberal <laughs> i think they were like they were like liberal backbenchers and and like young liberals and stuff like that who were posting hate about the donut photo was anybody else Would was you anyone say else chinese bots were involved could could there have potentially been some chinese bot action on this some russian spy action to try to sway it towards a conservative leaning government down there no, nah, they're all too busy doing America right now. All the Russian bots are <laughs> booked out. Do you know how in demand Russian bots are? Russian hackers right now I just they're just full to the brim. They're just looking at the count. Guys, we're backed up until March. <laughs> they're as busy as pumpkin farmers leading into Halloween. It's incredible. You're 100% right. How stupid of me to think they'd be doing anything other than trying to sway that election. Did you see uh, the CIA came out? And this is in the past fortnight, uh, mm. and said that um, now there have been Russian bots trying to sway people towards the Democrats. So maybe the Democrats have enlisted their own Russian bots to try to undo Donald Trump. I mean, in a way, so they should. Like, if that's what the war is now, <laughs> then yeah, yeah, they've got Cambridge Analytica. Get me Harvard Analytica. I don't know how it works. If that's what an election is, then, then I get it. All I'm saying you is can't... it's a good time to invest in Russian bots. Russian bots on the <laughs> rise. Do you have a Nick pick, a recommendation from this week? Is there anything that you have consumed and loved? I Look, I've been a big consumer of this for the past three years, but I'm going to give it a shout out. And they certainly don't need it because recently the company did sell themselves to Spotify for $200 million. Uh, but the Ringers podcast, The Rewatchables, if you just want a podcast where you can turn your brain off for about an hour and a half, they just recap a movie that is infinitely rewatchable. So I, I've been listening to back episodes. I, I listened to the Shining episode and they break it down. You have to watch the movie first. And they basically break it down as if, do you remember that feeling when you were a little 13 year old and you'd come out of the cinemas and you'd all go to Macca's or something and just yeah. break down what you watched and talk about yeah. the characters and that type. They yeah. basically do that and they bring it to life. It's a, it's a really nice, easy listen. You want to know what I like about this? I didn't know that this was a podcast. I didn't know that this was a thing. And when we months ago were tossing around ideas of starting a podcast, you pitched basically this to me. Yeah. You were like, why don't we just do a podcast where we like talk about each episode of Friends or something? Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, why would we want to do that? Well, So the- this is where it's come from. The ringers. It already exists. Yeah. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> How many companies have come to off-air asking to buy it for $200 million? <laughs> Not many. Donut Not day, any. baby. Donut day. Zero. <laughs> Think of all the donuts we could buy. Okay, I'll check it out. So did you listen to an episode in particular with the, that was that was good this week that they, you liked? Look, they're all particularly good. The, the the Shining one, which is actually a bit old, it was they did it right at the start of the pandemic. But it's, it's really good because they really go into depth about all the crazy conspiracy movie, uh, theories that that movie in particular has harnessed is it about the nazi holocaust is it about genocide in america the the, spoiler alert it's not it's just about a haunted mansion but anyway it's a good podcast yeah yeah it's fantastic uh how about you what's your recommendation okay so i have like i have a strange recommendation because i actually haven't listened to it yet but it's i'm i'm going out on a limb here because it really caught my attention So I was scrolling on Facebook yesterday and a friend of mine, Sam, had posted Tim Ferriss's interview with Hugh Jackman 
And it said um, Hugh Jackman on great decision-making, his um, daily exercise or daily rituals, and the 85% rule. Hmm. And I went, oh, that, that sounds really interesting. And then I went onto uh, my podcast app and I went to the Tim Ferriss uh, podcast thing and at the top just dropped Tim Ferriss two hour long interview with Matthew McConaughey and I went oh wow that's really cool because he's such a kind of like an enigmatic figure so anyway I hit play on the um, Matthew McConaughey episode and I went for a run yesterday so I listened to most of it and um, the whole time I was like what's the 85% rule that Hugh Jackman yeah. is explaining I want to know and I listened to this whole McConaughey interview. Very good. I mean, he's got his Southern drawl and he's like, yeah, well, I was 19 and this and, that. and the way that he tells his stories is very nice. Mm. Got home, Googled Hugh Jackman 85% rule. It's very interesting. The 85% rule is this uh, theory that if you have a top level athlete, let's say a swimmer, mm. and you say to them, I need you to swim one kilometer right now or whatever the distance is. And I only want you to go at 85%. They're going to pump out a time that's better than if you tell them, I want you to go at 100%. And the reason is because when you tell somebody to do something at 100%, they tense up and they put every single thing into it. Whereas when you say, I want you to do it at 85%, they actually release into the activity they kind of mm. unlock your shoulders and it's a more relaxed thing. It's the same level of exertion, but you go faster by trying less. So I've done all this reading now in the 85% rule. Haven't listened to the episode. It's next on my list, Hugh Jackman, Tim Ferriss. I love it. I will put in exactly 85% of effort into this podcast. I'm going to give it to you now. We all know I'm a lion. I don't train very often, uh, just as lions don't train to eat gazelles. And I will give you 85% of my best for this today. I'm all about I it. I like it. I feel like 85% is more than normal. I think it's, <laughs> it's, more of a, it's more of advice if someone's trying too hard. I don't think that that's a concern of yours I'm in particular. I'm going to pick it up. It. It's, it's gone from a solid 42 right up to 85. It's going to be a I'll hard take one it. for me. <laughs> Are you ready? Story number one. Yeah, let's do it. Story number one. Hashtag let us speak. Right now, Nick, the Victorian government has got themselves seriously caught up in trying to control the media and control storytelling around sexual assault and sexual homicide victims and cases. And basically everything that they're doing is backfiring horribly. This is a big story. Have you, have you seen any of this floating around before I kind of break down the history of what's been happening? I've, look, I've seen a little bit of it. It's come across my desk. Obviously, it's it's uh, something that's happening in Victoria. Um, but I have, and it's it baffles me. And it, uh, there's some very specific reasons it baffles me. But I'd really love for you to break it down as to how a the Victorian government came to this decision to try to suggest this bill and the bill they passed earlier in the year. But yep. b how this is affecting the victims in the media. Yeah, it's really interesting. Okay, so to go all the way back, a bill was passed in February, came into action in August, um, that basically enacted a law um, making it illegal for sexual assault victims to be named publicly anywhere, anywhere. So that's newspapers, mm. um, online, Instagram, Facebook, anywhere. Yeah. And the idea behind it was that they wanted to protect people's identity from the media because uh, for so many people, if that type of thing would have happened to you, 
obviously the last thing that you would want is for your name and your face to be plastered all over the local newspaper um, and to become the poster child of it. I think the key um, thing there is that you would you would hope that the victim would have control of the narrative. You would hope that the victim, whether they would or wouldn't want it, the choice is theirs. Yes. Yes. Well, anyway, the government has made that decision that they were going yeah. to try and protect those victims. Unfortunately, it basically backfired because by making it illegal for the media to name somebody with such extensive laws that continued into social media, they also made it illegal for the victims themselves to name themselves publicly, which basically stripped them of their right to talk about the things that had happened to them. This is wild stuff. So just in layman terms, just to break it down, if I was a victim of sexual assault and I wanted to tell my story on my personal Facebook page and put up my story that then clearly links it to me, I could be fined heavily and even prosecuted. You could be put in jail. Jesus. You could be fined um, three and a half thousand uh, dollars. You could face up to four months in jail or both. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a huge amount of backlash. And that's where the hashtag let us speak movement began, where sexual assault victims started to um, jump online and write about and push back and say, we want to own our own stories. Now, what the government is doing, the state government is preparing to debate a new law that is going to change this. And they've listened to aspects of it, but I don't think they've listened to enough. The new laws are going to outlaw the public naming of victims, specifically of sexual homicide. So Mm. not sexual assault, sexual homicide. So this is um, like the case of Eurydice Dixon, for example. Mm. So somebody that is awfully raped and murdered. I mean, it's Mm. very heavy stuff. Yeah, but and, don't avoid the language. I think it's important to use the language yeah. because that's what happened, and it is it's it's so sad. And that was a girl just walking home from a from a stand up comedy gig. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. So basically, under the new laws, they're going to move the same idea to sexual homicide victims. So if the Eurydice Dixon story were to happen um, after this bill is potentially passed then it would mean that she would not be able to be named by anybody. Mm. So she would literally be in the newspaper as as either Jane Doe or unnamed woman Mm. or potentially, which I think is is worse, um, victim of James Todd. Yeah. Completely erases these people's identities. This is the part I can't get my head around is that they're saying that you can name the person who committed the crimes and, and, and some of the stuff I read into this, which was incredibly interesting. And that hashtag let her speak campaign is fucking amazing. Fantastic. Please check that out and spend a bit of time looking at it. Um, them pointing out that that just gives the perpetrator additional power that they didn't yeah. have, which, which is what we know on a psychological level when it comes to rape and especially murder of these random women, it's a, it, a lot of times it's about the perpetrator trying to gain power. So why mm. would we continue that narrative in the media afterwards and, and not celebrate the amazing lives of these women? Why denigrate them to just make them a victim? Yes. And to, to make them not just a victim, but a victim owned by that person. Mm. Can you imagine if Eurydice Dix, I mean, when I was putting this together, I didn't have to Google Eurydice Dixon. I knew her name off the top of my head. I'd read the stories about her. I'd watched her do stand-up. And I'd taken part in in the movement, the celebration of her life and the sadness around her death. 
I had to Google James Todd's name. I didn't remember the name of the guy that killed her. Yeah. I hate the idea that the shoe would be on the other foot mm. and that every piece of media is going to point towards this guy, this guy who is a disgusting psychopath who probably is craving that attention. Mm. I, I really think that it would be I, just a final, final kick in the guts to somebody's family if they go unnamed and a killer is... I don't know, is is kind of glorified more. I actually prefer, I don't know, I potentially prefer the idea of the killer not being allowed to be named so that they don't get any glory. They just get put in prison and hopefully beat the shit out of. I think let's break the, let's take this back though. Uh, and I agree completely with everything you just said and you made some great points. Um, let's take this back to what the government was trying to do, which is they were trying to protect these victims in the media. Mm. You and I have both, we've got, combined over 20 years experience working in the realm of media generally uh, there are some bottom dwellers out there and i won't name names uh but i, I think would... we all know i mean you exactly. could say daily mail or whatever like yeah, yeah there yeah. are there are these there are places that that, that go for that sensationalize that go... it but very few very few media sources of uh, across australia are ever going to try to do anything but be supportive and respectful of the families of these victims so it do surprises think... me yeah I think so. I mean, look at the Eurydice Dixon side of things. Look at how that story made it to our ears. Look at how that story made it across our desks. And also it goes too far to step into the social media side of things, these laws anyway. But mm. uh, in general, I think the media do attempt to be sensitive towards these people. I, I genuinely do. I don't know. Because look, let's face it. There are a lot of young women that work in media. Uh, and I And I think that often people are trying to be as respectful as the family will allow. And often family want to be spokespeople for these campaigns to try to stop this. And we shouldn't not let the families do that. So it just surprises me that I wonder what brought on this uh, and made the Victorian government want to take such a hardline approach to censoring media. Well, it's a really interesting question about censorship. And the question is, is it the government's role at all? I mean, it's possible that within the world of the media, there could be some stricter rules. I mean, we had radio, or you still have, you're still on air. We have uh, radio guidelines. Mm. Uh, would it be possible to create some stricter rules that control the media internally so that it's not, you know, a statewide act? But isn't it about education as well? I remember yeah, receiving, you and I, when we were living up in North Queensland together, actually receiving really great training around um, both domestic violence and suicide and the words we shouldn't, shouldn't use. And that was done from a psychologist who'd come in to teach us those things. So I, I think there is an element of responsibility on the companies. I don't think there's an element of responsibility on the government. And it becomes super far-reaching when you start to try to censor social media. Like yeah. that's yeah. that's where I think there's a really specific line being crossed with this policy. And it's just bizarre that they haven't worked harder to communicate with the people who are victims of these crimes. Because from that from the look of the hashtag let her speak campaign, they really haven't had a lot of consultation with those victims. They haven't. I actually have a friend on Facebook um, who I reached out to about today's recording. Her name's Letitia. Um, and she shared a status um, that she gave us permission to read out and to oh, discuss. Cool. And so I wanted to read this because um, it, it pertains to her. So her status says, one year ago today, I got to hear the words that I'd been waiting to hear for the longest time. Guilty. 
26 charges, 15 years, 9 years no parole. It was my win. It was what I deserved and it is what I had fought so hard for the longest time. I finally had a voice of my own. But now, new laws are taking away my voice again and the voices of every other rape and sexual assault victim in Victoria. To say I'm angry is an understatement. Why should the victims be silent? Why can't I tell my story? Why should we continue to be oppressed even though our perpetrators are behind bars? All this new law is doing is giving power back to the people who, is, who we so badly want to be free from. We need to tell our story so that others will share theirs. We need to be heard. And now more than ever, we need the support of each other because this new law has certainly taken it away from my win. It's made me feel like the small child I was. It's making rape and sexual assault victims everywhere feel as though their story doesn't matter. I will not use a fake name. Letitia Latz, hashtag let us speak. Powerful, Letitia. Yeah. Well, thank you, firstly, uh, Letitia, for letting us share that. But also, secondly, thank you for, um, for, for telling that story and putting that status up. I mean, that's, that, that says more than anything that I think you and I could add to the conversation, Tim. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it's horrifying that these people have been through so much and now we're asking them to go through even more mm. and that we're trying to control their stories. I understand that the government wants to help and try and protect them, but um, I don't think it's the government's place. Mm. Um, yeah. Nobody, nobody can control the story of, of things that have happened to these people. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Story number two. Story number two. I can't say anything after that. I got nothing. Story number two. <laughs> well, you got to yell it out. You got to yell it Story out. Story number two. Here we go. Story number two. Lost in the post. Nick, this week Australia Post has been in the spotlight and not because they're three weeks late on every single Victorian's wine orders. <laughs> the CEO, Christine Holgate, wanted to buy four of her workers a gift from the company. So she bought them each a nice little Cartier watch. This first made the news when Australia found out that she had just spent $12,000 on these gifts. Um, then the story got worse when people started Googling the Cartier website and having a look at the watches and realized that they were worth much, much more. In fact, they were worth $20,000. <laughs> Since then, they've started looking into Christine's company credit cards, where they found that in her three years in her job, she has spent $375,000 on her personal company credit card, <laughs> including... A single $32,000 hotel bill. Mm. Christine has since been stood down to be investigated, but will still be paid $27,000 a week while she's off. <laughs> Nick, should we become postman? <laughs> well, yes. I think that, well, unfortunately, from the looks of things and the, and the threat of strikes that has been levelled uh, at Australia Post at the moment. Unfortunately, the postmen aren't seeing those Cartier watches or those uh, lavish hotel holidays. But no. this is, this is a uh, look, I think on a real base level, this is a prime example of the difference between pri corporate or private industry and government industry. And uh, uh, this woman came from private industry where in those companies, this type of thing maybe happens, it is maybe a little bit more a part of that world. If you're working for a private corporation that has a board and a CEO and a CFO, 
perhaps these types of things are a little, we all know the bonuses people uh, that work for Qantas get or the bonuses yeah. even for the for, for the media company that I work for receive. But when when it's taxpayer money. Not at money, our level, by the way. No, not no. The radio no. Level. Yeah, not, not at my level. But, but, the, but, but the difference is when it becomes taxpayer dollars that are being spent, people rightfully so get more sensitive about it. And I think she definitely crossed a line. I've read a lot of things about her character, uh, and apparently she's a very generous philanthropic person. She's a member of the board uh, for the Collingwood Football Club. Eddie Maguire came out in the media and was extremely defensive of her and said that she single-handedly funded um, a homelessness support network that is that is run by Collingwood throughout the pandemic. But you can't go spending taxpayer money like this and expect to get away with it. It's not. It's not good. <laughs> Oh, well, if she supports Collingwood, <laughs> she's a human being. It was, she just likes nice watches. It was very hand in your back pocket. And and a lot of the stuff now, unfortunately, that's come out is is very on the nose. I don't know if you've seen her car with the number plate, Posty One. Post, yep, uh, sure have. <laughs> uh, so, look, it's, I mean, what do you make of it? She's got to deliver mail and she needs... <laughs> You can't not have a personalised number plate on your BMW four-wheel drive because people are going to blink if you stop in a loading zone. Well, but look, with Tim, that, they understand. Let me ask you this. Do you want to know that the people at, that are running Australia Post know the time? Is it important for you to know that they know the time? <laughs> I would hope. I don't me. think it's working <laughs> because they have <laughs> Do they know the time? <laughs> we... Us lockdown folk, we've been waiting on Australia Post for a number of things, and they're not very good at the moment. So whilst it's wonderful that she's handing out these bonuses, I don't. I mean, the company is terrible right mm, now. It's yeah. doing terribly. One thing that I do want to talk about, because you spoke about taxpayer money and things like that, or, or um, government money. Um, so Australia Post is actually a government-owned business, mm. which is a very interesting and grey area. So do you fully have your head around what that is? I feel uh, like you will probably know it better than I will. Uh, look, I wouldn't say I completely have my head around it, but I'm assuming yeah. that they still are responsible for making profits and they have to run as a corporation. Uh, yes. But the government props it up. Sort of similar to the way Qantas used to be. And and I believe Ansett was for a little bit as well until that all went know. bust. And there's a couple Didn't of other companies uh, that the government does have. Telstra, uh, Telstra ran very similar to that for a long time as well. Yeah, so it means that it is um, it's its own entity and it is a company that can run for profit, but it is owned by the government. So it's almost like the government sets up a little side hustle. Yeah. Um, interestingly, when, when we say this is our money, um, Australia Post isn't funded by the government. Mm. So it has to 100% stand on its own two legs. And so if they have enough profit to be make, buying these watches and stuff, there is the argument that, Sure, any other company would be able to buy those watches and nobody would care. The question is, because it is a government-run uh, entity, should those massive profits potentially be funneled back into the system? I mean, this is money that could be going to hospitals and schools and homeless yeah. people and things like that. So it's, it's an interesting question. Look, there's two. I think there's two things to clarify here, which, which is a point I'd like to make anyway. It's never our money. 
we pay tax. Like even even when people, because it shits me to tears when you see on Facebook people going, oh, welfare, welfare, and they choose, you know, I wouldn't choose to spend my money that way. It's never our money. We've forfeited that money. That's it. That, that is the tax we pay for living in our social system in this country. And we've, we have entered into a, to an agreement with our government to pay that money so that we can live this way. So we don't get to choose how we spend it anyway. So don't stress out about that, people. Relax a little bit more. But I think the second point is it's really interesting to see over the past five years how our perception of wealth has shifted as a society. And it's coming my way, baby. It's where I've been all along. Uh, Socialist democracy coming on up. And how much, instead of five years ago, perhaps, when this happened, us going, well, so they they work hard and they've scaled the social, they've worked hard their whole lives and they've gotten good jobs and then they've worked even harder and now they deserve their Cartier watch. But now that we are in a recession and our and our economy is slowing down and the, there's a prospect of uh, our housing market falling off a cliff people people don't like to see massive uh, sort of excess spending people don't like to see these ridic- you can't tell me that all those executives don't have shit hot watches already you can't tell me yeah. they they require a Cartier watch on their arm and it's this lavishness that I think is really lovely that we're watching our society turn against because yeah. it's great we're we're finally rebelling against capitalism and I I think that what's interesting about this is because uh when you you can I mean you can just go on the Cartier website and see how much the watches are they they are broken down in different articles they range from about 3 and a half to $8,000 I don't think anyone would blink an eyelid at a high level, like CEO or executive or whatever, getting an $8,000 bonus hmm. and or a $3,500 bonus. I mean, that's the type of bonus that that like a regular salesperson is is totally likely to get. Well, at, if you put it in a percentage company. of their salary as well, like if you consider yeah. they're earning half a million dollars, then $3,000 is not a, not a great deal of money. So yeah, I think it's the fact that it is a physical embodiment of lavishness yeah. because this is something that exactly like you said, they don't need it. They didn't ask for it. They didn't go out and buy it. And yet there it is. Um, I think that's why it's definitely rubbed in people's faces a little bit more. Do you want to know what's interesting about all of this? Because Australia is very angry about it. Mm. Do you want to know what a lot of the post office um, licensees across Australia are doing? Have you heard about no, their what response? Are, what are they doing? Are they getting their watches out? Is this a new hashtag? No, they are doing the opposite. Post, there is a movement at the moment. I don't know how many of them are doing it. Post office licensees across Australia are mailing... Scott Morrison, a $5 note in a show of support. Oh, because he's got their back. ScoMo's cracked down on this. Well, the post office people are doing it in a show of support for Christine Holgate. And they're saying, take the $5 and put it towards the the watch fund. So they're saying, and I've got a quote here, they're saying that um, a lot of the post office licensees have felt that under Christine, she has turned the business around. Um, and that they've made it much more profitable for the uh, post office runners. And uh, one of the quotes here is they've said it's a, it's minuscule in the face of the $100 million in savings um, each year that Christine has been saving for the company. There you go. This is interesting. So The sad thing is that ScoMo mm. will never see that $5 because they'll all be lost in their <laughs> own bloody system. 
<laughs> he might get it sometime mid 2021. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, it's just we want to hang the rich at the moment, don't we? And and I'm all for that. I've always been a secret French revolutionist, so bring it forward. I'll I'll put on my put on my scarf and head to the barricade. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I mean? Do you think that she should have done it or not? Let's boil it down to a yes or no. Do you think she should be in trouble because she is? There's an investigation right now. She's on hold from her job. She has saved the company a lot of money. I think largely by cutting a huge amount of costs, and that's why Australia Post is so shit at the moment. Mm. Um, but that's why the licensee people are very happy because they're running at lower operating costs. They're making higher profit. Should she be allowed to do it? Let's do a yes or no. What I would say. And I'm going to totally politician you as an answer. Okay, feel free. Great. What I would say is I would like to know that the best possible candidates are running these companies. In any in any sort of government agency or government-owned business, I would like to know that the best possible candidates are running those. And to attract the best possible candidate, you have to be comparable to the corporate world. So as long as she is running a, an extremely profitable business, and these are the type of things she needs to do to make sure that the best possible candidates are working for her company and they're not working for private corporations, then I'm cool with it. Do it. But but I understand from a perception side of things why people are upset. Mm. How yeah. about you? So she needs to try and keep good people under her because otherwise they're yeah. going to go work at Star Trek. Yeah, exactly and right. Then or DHD or... <laughs> <laughs> I have. I also have a politician answer on it. Is it good, yes or no? My politician answer is she should be able to do it, 100%. I think uh, the way that Australia Post is set up under the Australian government, she should be able to, because it's a profit business, she should be able to buy things for her executives. My problem comes with the fact that the company is so shit at the moment. Yeah. And if her head is so far in the sand, look at us, we're making all this profit. Yeah, well, not for long because people are going to stop using you. Yeah. So. That's my issue, and especially at a time when the company is gr- when the country has been grinding to a halt. Mm. Victoria has been grinding to a halt. Australia Post hasn't supported it at all. There has been huge job losses, and they've been cutting jobs. When it's probably, I mean, working in a post office would be one of the easiest things that you could pump up and create more, uh, create Rolls. more jobs. Mm. Yeah. So I think as a concept, sure, buy whatever watches that you want, but it stings me that they are doing such a shit job and that it's annoying for all of us at the same time. So I don't know. All right. It sounds like you're out. That's good. We've got disagreement. That's what we want. Political discourse. Look at us. We'll we'll be the insiders next on Sky News. (laughs) Great. We'll need a mute button. Story number three. Cult justice, baby. For over a year now, there's been an investigation into the American sex cult Nexium. It's spelt uh, N-X-I-V-M. And this is the one that's attracted a bunch of celebrities, uh, the children of massive tycoons around the world and international royalty. Very famously, the chick from Smallville was mm. very high up Both. in Nexium. Both the chicks what? from Smallville were involved. The other one was involved for a brief period. Oh, there were two. Yeah. Weird. There you go. I did. I've, I've only, I only realized there was one. Well, there you go. I'm learning something from you straight off the bat. Anyway, today, Keith Raineri, um, who was the head of Nexium, has been sentenced to 120 years in jail. He's 60 years old. I don't think he's going to do the whole thing. Um, he was convicted on charges. This has literally come out in the last couple of hours. Convicted on yeah. charges including racketeering, alien smuggling, sex trafficking, extortion, and obstruction of justice. Um, and I mean, those are all of the technical terms, but basically he created a sex cult where he was branding 
women and forcing them to uh, basically forcing them into a system where they had to continue sleeping with him. Um, there is a very interesting documentary series about it on Stan um, and the episodes drop every week and we're only at week two. So there have only been two episodes. So this has definitely spoiled the ending. Nick, have you, <laughs> have you seen this? Have you been keeping up with Nexium? Have you seen the show? I mean, yeah, because we've all got a weird, morbid fascination with cults, right? Like all of us have this weird when you because it's so different and it's such a weird seventies thing, like that the whole cult thing. So yeah, I've been keeping up with it. I think the most interesting thing for me is that Nexium, like universally, uh, is described as a multi-level marketing scheme, and it makes me mm. it makes you wonder that next time that that mother of four from your high school sends you a message about wanting to make quick money. What else is she involved in? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Next time so she what... offers you Nutridretics or some containers, <laughs> I'm just saying, could be could be more than meets the eye. We always knew multi-level marketing schemes are so full of shit, it's not funny. So this is like the ultimate cherry on the cake of multi-level marketing schemes. Obviously horrendous crimes. First things yes. first. I'm getting in a silly mood because we're at the half hour mark. Where are the aliens, Tim? <laughs> not, I don't think it's that type of aliens. I think it means people from other countries I know, when they say, I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it, it is so interesting. And, and like you said, when you said, um, it's such a thing from the seventies, it's kind of crazy that one of these things has been bubbling away in the last few years, right under our noses. Because I think when, when we speak about those kind of drink the Kool-Aid stories, you really imagine it as being this thing that managed to slip under society when people weren't educated and didn't have the internet and didn't have social media. Mm. And then you go, wow, one has been happening now. Like, and, and it's come to light in the last year, but this means it's been bubbling away for really all of our adult lives. Mm. And it's so interesting how one of these things can just slip into the subculture of our world and just tick along. And the people who get indoctrinated are totally normal people. Yeah. Um, it, 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 I do, same as you, I think I have a totally weird fascination with the whole cult thing. Why do you think it is that there are such strong repetitions that we see in these cults over and over? Like, when are, we talk are about- you, in terms of if you're looking at a cult as a life cycle, like you're starting as this thing where you just want to make everyone happy and you want to live outside of the constraints of social obligations that society, and then at some point you get heavily into drugs and start sexually abusing your cult followers, and then you go try to live somewhere else, and then it all blows up and you're either in jail or you're all dead. Are you yes, talking yeah. about it, that it as a It really cycle? has. It, it has a life cycle that we keep seeing repeated through history. And don't you think that that's interesting that that we keep on creating? And obviously not you and I, but our society <laughs> keeps on creating the same it thing. It just won't take off. Uh, well, <laughs> in the words of Hovey and Yeezy, no one man can have all that power, Tim. The, the <laughs> ultimate power ultimately corrupts. And that's yeah. what we know. And so if you if you if you make someone a god or put them at a deity status, then then eventually they're gonna become corrupt and wanna do weird shit. And that's what you see again and again. That's why so many rich people are so fucking weird. Have you ever spent a lot of time with like super rich people and super rich families? They're well, all they're weirdos. I I actually I knew a very rich guy growing up. He was he came from one of the richest families in, in Australia. Um, I won't name him, but uh, James I name Packer. Him? No, I name him? Him? no, no, only no, if you like it. him. No, I'll just, yeah, no, uh, he was uh, he was one of the lowies. 
Well, um, oh, so his yeah. family owns Westfield. Yeah, yeah. He played on the same soccer team as me. Mm. And nicest guy. Not weird at all. So I don't know. I, I feel like it's actually like maybe the level below that where they're like trying to get richer. Yeah. And that drives them a little bit weird. Because yeah. he was at the level, his family was at the level, like when you're in the top five wealthiest families in, in Australia, you just don't care about it. Well, it's like he used to wear like $60 wealth. football boots, like like the cheap wow. on sale football boots. Didn't show it off at all. Lovely, lovely guy. Yeah, but maybe he's just what he's because maybe he's just well adjusted. Like yeah, I, 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 a lot of just eccentric. I would say eccentric because you can be like you can be eccentric because you've got enough money to fix problems around you, if mm. that makes sense. Uh, but I think the other thing, it's really interesting that a lot of cults start in uh, in and around California and in and around Hollywood specifically. And I think the specific reason for that is so many people go there trying to find uh, themselves or trying to find a social circle that fits what they believe in. And then these cults are there and they're offering that. They're saying, hey, I know you didn't fit in in that small town you've come from uh, with all those kids because you're special and we're Mm. special too. And we're going to help you reach the most special you can be. And we're going to help you get there because it's all about self-belief, right? It's finding loners or people who haven't felt like they fit in and trying to give them a tribe, trying to give them a sense of belonging in a societal uh, arena. And that's that's how they lure them in. And then they build trust with them and then they feel like they can abuse that trust. And that's what that, I mean, it's really fascinating. There's been some really interesting cults in Australia. I think the comedian Harley Breen might've grown up in a cult around the Byron region. It's still, yeah, it still blows me away that there are these cult groups that absolutely exist, especially in parts of Northern New South Wales, which is again, an area uh, in some ways like Hollywood, where a lot of people go there on their own, to. move to the area. They don't have those roots or they don't, because let's face it, if you grew up around your family and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm hanging out every Thursday and Sunday at this farm uh, and we, we douse each other in paint and then do weird stuff on LSD. Someone in and your we life, really think we're going to change the world. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, like I, me I, and my 12 friends, <laughs> we're going to do it. Someone around you is going to be like, man, I think that's a cult. I think it's like, it's like the first episodes of Australian Idol when the real shit singers come on and you're like, you don't have enough people in your life. Like you need more people in your life that are going to be saying to you, don't do it. Don't go on that show. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're totally right. My next question then I guess is like, how do we stop it? Because what's so interesting about this cult cycle is we keep seeing it happen over and over. And uh, I mean, we can see it happening right now with Scientology, like the amount of stuff that comes out about Scientology. It's very clearly a cult and yet it still just operates and it chugs along and it goes under the system and it goes under the radar. And you know that in our lifetime, there's going to be the expose that finally ends it. Um, There's been a number already that have tried. How do you stop it? Is it a government thing or, how, or do we just need to shake shake these people before they get too involved? Where's know. the answer? I don't know if you can stop it. I mean, it's just, it, it, we're, we're not even talking about the 70s. I mean, cults were a thing, as long as there has been civilization, there has been groups that um, mm. abuse disenfranchised people or, or look to disenfranchised people 
to try to, I mean, look at the, in a lot of ways, look at the whole, I think even in, remember way back at the start of 2020, 15 or 16 years ago, when there was that little show. <laughs> when we were young and wide eyed <laughs> and the world was full of promise. When and the, this was definitely my year. <laughs> when there was that little show called Tiger King. I mean, that was essentially <laughs> a, a small s- circle of, series of cults all of that doc elson or yeah. whatever his name was doc antil doc yep. antil he had a cult they're all they're all cults uh, the question isn't how should we stop it how do we start it <laughs> i mean i don't know how i feel about getting into this topic on the back of literally like reading out the 120 year jail how sentence. do we do it right that's all i'm saying how, how okay we... okay we make a good cult is that yeah, what you say yeah, yeah which i'm sure is what they all say at the start i'm what sure they all say at the all start st- <laughs> what am i fa- actually let look let's let's wrap this up. <laughs> but one of my favorite uh quotes from the u.s office is from creed when he's like I've been in several cults and he's like, you make more money running them, but you have more fun being part of them. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Oh, all right. I think that's going to be the title of the episode. Cults, you make more money. (laughs) I think we should wrap this up. Nick Stewart, thanks for pulling apart the top three stories of the week with me as always. Have you got anything big planned for this week? You doing anything exciting? No, I'm slowly dealing with my transition into midlife and instead of going out and drinking and things like that, I think I'm going to a first birthday party on Sunday. So Ooh. yeah, that's me now. Great. Absolutely. You're gonna get, just get, just get loose. Are you still vegan? Before uh, we get yeah. out of here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, not on the weekends, uh, but I'm a weekday <laughs> vegan. I've eaten vegan. I, I give myself 24 hours of meat eating, but I just had a lovely tofu and mushroom, uh, Thai curry, Thai green curry. Beautiful. Homemade. Good Thank you. you. No. Absolutely. Um, I'm going, we've got a, we've got the Melbourne cup next week. So I'm taking a long weekend. So I'm going to go do a hike up in the Grampians. So uh, if you don't hear from me, I am there. So come and find me. Um, part of a cult. Other way, part of a cult. Started a cult in the mountains. Let's wrap this up. If you're still hanging out with us, thanks for having a listen. Um, uh, we really do. It helps us so much if you give us a review or if you hit subscribe. Um uh, one of my friends said to me, does that really make a difference? Totally does. And we see them as well. So that'll make our day if you do either of those things. Mm. And we've also got a Facebook group called, um, what's it called? Off Air Podcast <laughs> you Community. You made it, just, mate. Come on, Jesus. Just search, search Off Air on, on Facebook and join the group. And we have uh, kind of chats and stuff about a lot of the topics throughout each week. Let's get out of here. See you, Nick. Bye.